So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke chapter 4, we're picking up where we left off just this last week. And uh, chapter 4, verse 14, I, I guess is where we're, where we're going to be. I continue to mention this, and that is that Luke is, is writing a letter to a guy named Theophilus, and he's trying to tell him about who Jesus is. And so we keep trying to see, like, what is Luke trying to communicate to Theophilus? What was his intent there? And then as a result, what's, uh, what are we supposed to hear about that? And so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 4, and we're just going to walk through this passage. So Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 14 says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And one of the key things that you see about, about the book of Luke is that Luke wants to communicate to Theophilus the power of the Holy Spirit being used in the life of Jesus Christ. And the import uh, of that to us is that we also have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us and that we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is walking in the power of God um, as God, but then he is also uh, fully man and fully God, and yet he's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's also available to us. It's kind of a crazy concept. But Luke wants to emphasize this over and over again, and he's emphasizing that to you and I today. And so what was happening was this, that Jesus was going throughout uh, this surrounding country, and he was like an itinerant preacher. And so he was going around, and I, I don't think they put up these big tents like they used to down in the south or that Billy Graham used to do, but... If you know anything about that, you might remember a time when there were these little evangelistic meetings that would happen, you know, in various places. And they'd put up tents and they'd preach the word and people would get saved. And what Jesus was doing is that Jesus began preaching and people started listening to him. And so he has the reputation of somebody who is a preacher. And that's what he's doing. He's speaking to people and people are listening up to him and he is being glorified by all. Some translations say that he is being praised by all. And so Jesus is, 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 is getting a lot of attaboys. People are really liking what he has to say. They love that he's a preacher. They love what he's saying. And so they want to follow him. And it's not a whole lot different than what we see today if you're a part of the Christian community at all. And if you're not, that's okay. We're so glad that you're here. But in the Christian community, there's lots of podcasts and lots of teachers that many of us tend to listen to. And so we begin to listen to those teachers and to those podcasts, and we, we hear from them, and they, we, we give them praise, we give them honor, we, uh, we're excited about who they are. It's, it's not a whole lot different than that. This is who Jesus was. His reputation was increasing, and he was becoming a guy who's on the scene, and people were looking at him saying, we better watch this guy. This guy's going somewhere. It's pretty amazing. And so then it, it kind of goes to a, a particular day in the life of Jesus. In verse 16, it says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He heads back to his hometown. These are his old stomping grounds. He knows some people there. Nazareth was not a big place. It was a small town. It'd be like heading back to Sayo and like hanging out with your family, right? It's a, sorry, Sayoians, uh, whatever, what do you call yourself? Um, in any case, uh, it'd be like heading back to a small town as that, that, is, that is just not a lot of people there. But Jesus goes to home, and, it, and as was his custom, it says, 
he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now, in the synagogue, it is, it's basically like a little uh, kind of sub-church. It's not the temple, but it's a little place that people go, go to worship. And so he goes into the synagogue, and in the synagogue they had the, the you know, various rituals that they, that they would do and so forth. They'd read from uh, the Old Testament, and they would uh, talk about it and, and so forth. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue this day, and it says that he went there on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read the Scripture. And so he is there to read the Scripture. He is there to, uh, to teach he is there to tell people uh, what's up, that kind of a thing. And so he's about to give a sermon. Now think about this. Lots of people around the area have heard of this guy, Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. They know who he is. Many people know him. And so they show up this day. The place is packed. Tons of people in there. They're waiting to hear what Jesus has to say to them. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to, pro to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what's Jesus doing? He's reading out of Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 61 verse 1 and 2, and, and, and chapter uh, 58 as well, a, a, a small line out of there as well. So Jesus reads this, and then it says in verse 20, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now Jesus, he is reading from this scripture and he leaves a line of scripture out that talks about uh, judgment. I did write it, yes, out of uh, uh, chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. He leaves out this line, in the day of vengeance of our God. I'll read it in context. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So he's reading something here, which is a prophecy of God saying, I am going to send uh, th this, this healing. I'm going to send this, this person who is going to release these people, these captives. He's going to set these captives free. He's going to uh, proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to bring sight to the blind and, and so on. And yet he leaves off that line, which says that... Uh, that the day of the vengeance of our God. Now, what, the reason why Jesus might be doing that is because this is not the day of God's vengeance. This is the day that God is coming in through Jesus and he is opening up his ministry. He's beginning his ministry in a sense and he's proclaiming the truth. He's proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel is essentially this. He's proclaiming this good news to the poor. This and who are the poor? The poor are these people who, are, who have moral and spiritual poverty. It's not just people who are poor. It is to them, and as the community of faith, the church of God, we are people who are to serve the poor, yes. But Jesus is coming, and he's coming for the people who have moral and spiritual poverty. 
He's coming for these captives. And these captives are people who are spiritual prisoners. They're, they're spiritual prisoners of money, of sex, of power. They're people who are prisoners of Satan. He's bringing the truth here and he's saying, I, I, I have come, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, I have come to uh, bring good news to these poor people who don't oftentimes hear good news. But these people who know, they have this sense of, I am spiritually poor. I don't have what it takes. He's bringing this freedom to these people who are spiritual prisoners. And he's releasing them from their bondage. He's releasing them from being in bondage to to money. How many of us are in bondage to, to money? How many of us are completely bound? You know when you know when you're hog you know you are hogtied with money when you've got debt up to your ears and you can't seem to dig out of it. And it's because you've been in bondage to money that money has a hold on you so much so that you cannot dig out of it. You're in bondage, and it is spiritual. Money has become your God, and it has put you in bondage. Or you know that you're a captive to sex, to sexuality, or sensuality, when you cannot give it up. You cannot give up pornography. You cannot stop thinking about it. You cannot stop engaging. You cannot be faithful. You cannot just fill in the blank. You know that you're in, it's a spiritual bondage. Our world would have you believe that it's not a bondage, it's a freedom, but it's not a freedom. It enters you more and more into bondage. You know that you're in spiritual bondage when you misuse your power. When you misuse your power as, as a man and you try to control the people around you uh, through anger or through aggression through the way that you manipulate or what have you, or when you use anger, ladies, and, and through that anger, you, whatever it is, it's, it's emotion that's out of control. It's whatever, it, whatever that is for, for ladies, it's misusing a power that God has given you, and you're in bondage to it. We all have these things. We're in spiritual bondage. We are captive of this. He says he's bringing sight to the blind, recovering of sight to the blind. There's, there, there's this idea that like, uh, I, I, you know, I, I would follow him if I could see the reality of it. I would walk with him if I, if I could see that. But the truth is, is that you and I, before Jesus, are walking in spiritual blindness. We're walking in a blindness that essentially keeps us from being able to see the truth. It keeps us from being able to see our, our shortcomings. It keeps us from being able to even see that we're captives to the things that we worship, to the things that we serve. It keeps us from being able to see that this is spiritual in nature, that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual, and, and it causes this spiritual blindness that keeps us from being able to actually see what God wants us to see. 
And Jesus says that he brings that to us. And then lastly, to the oppressed. Jesus is speaking to the oppressed. The people who are broken down. The people who are shattered. The people who are crushed by life's circumstances. It's not just outright sin. It's the people that have been sinned against. It's the people who have been sinned against. See, a lot of times our sin isn't just, we're not sinning just because we want to sin. That is true. But oftentimes our sin is coming out of the ways that we've been sinned against. I've been sinned against and so therefore I sin in these ways. We don't do it consciously. We do it unconsciously. We do it in our relationships. We've been crushed as a child through whatever it is that God has allowed in our lives, as horrible as it is. We were crushed in our family. We were crushed by a parent who didn't love us the way that we wanted to be loved. We were crushed in so many ways. And as a result, we sense this deep oppression. We sense this oppression that is, that is crushing us. And so we respond out of that oppression. And the other people in our world and in our life, they experience this oppression as it radiates out of us. And Jesus promised to you and to me is that he comes to heal us. He comes to release us. He comes to bring good news to us. And this is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel says. The gospel says that ultimately, ultimately you are poor. Ultimately, you are a, a, a captive. Ultimately, you are blind. Ultimately, you are oppressed. But Jesus brings to you and to me healing in that way. This is what Jesus promises to us. He's promising this to us. And what these people see is something amazing. He gets done reading that scripture and people are on pins and needles. The place is quiet. Everyone, everyone hears what he has to say and they're just sitting there and they're saying, what is, what is he going to communicate about this? What's he going to say? Their eyes are fixed on him and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, it says that he goes in the power of the spirit to Galilee, and then he goes to his hometown. Again, in, it, he is still in the power of the spirit. That didn't stop in Galilee. And so here he is, and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It is fulfilled. I am here. See, what we think is we think that I'll be released from my spiritual poverty when I just get some things figured out. I'll be able to actually be released from this captivity. I'll be able to see again. I'll be, I, I won't be under the suppression if, if I just get the right things together, if I read the right books, if I do the right things, if I just fall in line in these ways, then, then that will take place. And Jesus says, just simply because he's here, 
just simply because he's right there in their midst. He says, that is true right here and right now. Simply by his presence. Men and women, do you know what that, what that means? The way of Jesus is not, is not just a teaching. The way of Jesus is the person of Jesus. The way to experience the gospel it can only happen through the person, Jesus Christ. And he says, you want the gospel? You want the truth? You're looking at him. You want to know the plan? You're looking at him. That's what Jesus says to them. And they said in verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now I can tell you that I believe that Jesus' sermon is better than my sermon right here and right now. And it doesn't record what he says about that. But he sat down to talk about this passage. That's what they did then. They sit down when they do a sermon. I don't know how they did that. That seems weird to me. But he sat down and he did a sermon and he said that, and they are thinking to themselves like they are marveling at the graciousness of what Jesus is saying. These words that are coming from his mouth, they're marveling at it, and they're just going, man, this is so gracious. Now, that should, I think that should stick out to us a little bit because of this, because sometimes we get really caught up and just wanting to go to church sometimes, for those of us that have been around for a while, and we sense conviction. Like, Pastor really brought it today because, because I feel convicted. I feel, I feel like I got beat up. I think I, I personally did a lot of sermons like that. And there were a lot of young men that were like, yeah, hit me again, hit me again. I mean, we just like to get hit sometimes. But Jesus preaching wasn't just a bunch of sucker punches. Jesus preaching was grace. It was grace that says, you are not enough, and yet I am. You are not enough, and yet I am that for you. I am enough for you in all of your failings, in all of your spiritual poverty, in all of the things that you've done wrong. I am enough for you. Do you get the grace? Do you get the mercy? He could have sat there, and he could have said all kinds of things, but he brought grace to them he brought gracious words that said i am here to heal the people that know that they're broken and they marvel at his gracious words that are coming from his mouth and they said is not this joseph's son now that should key us into something which is essentially this, and that is that they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. In fact, it says, they say that, and Luke is trying to show Theophilus that like, Jesus comes and brings this gracious message, this gracious sermon to the people who are broken, to the people who are falling apart, to the people that know that they're blind, and they're like, that cute Jesus out there, man. I, he, he, I remember when he was a little boy, I changed his diaper. And he, look at that little fella. I like him. Oh, that's great sermon, Jesus. That's awesome. Good for you. Isn't this Joseph's son? 
essentially saying, I, I don't really believe him. I don't really believe what he has to say. I'm not really listening to him. And he said to them, Jesus responds to those words, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Jesus gives them a sermon filled with grace. And their only response is, isn't that the guy that we know? Why is, why is, he, why is he preaching at us? They hear the gracious words, but it, it doesn't really resonate in their hearts. It's not, it's not really a message for them. And I think that, that that is also our problem so many times. It's a gracious message, Pastor. It sounds nice, but it's not for me. It, it seems okay for some other people. It seems okay for all of those obviously poor and blind and captives and oppressed that seems okay for them, but it's not for me. Because Jesus is speaking to the religious people of his day. Jesus is speaking to people that are in church every Sunday. And they go to the synagogue and they are, they are connected. They have a good family. They are about family values. They support the right things, or so they think that they do. They're, they're people that feel like they have everything right in their life. And that message doesn't penetrate their heart because they've been sitting in this church thing for a long time and it does not get there. It does not get to the bottom. The coin hasn't dropped in their life. It hasn't really taken place. They're just people who are hearing a good sermon. They like what they hear, but they never really respond to it. And in Christian culture today, there's a lot of that. You can, you can listen to Caleb all day long. You can listen to worship music on Spotify. You can, uh, you can listen to sermons. You can do all this stuff. And you can do all that and never really realize that you are poor and that you are blind and that you're a captive and that you're oppressed. You could do all of those things and it not penetrate at all and never bring about any legitimate change in your life. And ultimately, it comes down to something. And that is that you don't see the need in your life. You don't see the need in your life. And so Jesus says to them, I have no doubt that you're going to say this proverb to me. I have no doubt that you're going to uh, uh, speak this old adage to me. Physician, heal yourself. He's, he says, you know, apparently this is an old adage where, where he's from. And he's saying, I have no doubt that th these words are going to come out of your mouth. And ultimately, I think it's because Jesus is looking forward to the cross. And they're going to say to him, hey, why don't you take yourself down from there if you're God? Why don't you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're this big God figure, why don't you just deal with the problem yourself? And then he says, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They're just saying, you know what, I just need a little bit more proof that you are who you say you are. I just, 
I just need a little bit more proof. Just Would you just confirm that this is who you are, and then I'll follow you? Would you, just, would you just do that? Because what he did at Capernaum was that he did some amazing signs there. And they're, and, they're, and they're kind of thinking to themselves, hey, if he would just do some signs, then I'll follow him. And ultimately what it boils down to is this, is that they did not believe him. It says in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, about this same, about this same story, it says, and he could do no mighty work there except that he... Uh, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus was sitting there and just going, I can't even believe that you hear this message and yet you don't respond. And yet you don't respond. And so Jesus goes on to say, and he finishes his sermon. And he says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. It's difficult to see greatness in somebody that we know well. It's difficult to see that. Truly, this is, this is true in this situation. It was true of Jesus as well. But then he says in verse 25, it's, it's like he's saying, but listen up, I got something really serious to tell you. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Now these stories may be lost on you but he's talking about two stories from the Old Testament in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And he's talking about this prophet Elijah. And God sends Elijah uh, to go see this woman. He is, uh, he is out of food. And God says to him in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 and 9, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So God says, I want you to go see this widow. Now, why is this weird? Why is this unusual? Because there's lots of people who are starving. There's lots of people in Israel who do not have any food. But God sends Elijah the prophet to someone else. God sends Elijah the prophet to someone from another country who are not God's chosen people. God sends him to this woman. And what does he do? Elijah goes to this woman and says, hey, can I have a drink? And she says, well, yeah. And she's bringing him a drink. And he says, well, while you're on your way, would you make me some bread? And she says, I only have like a handful of flour and some oil left. It was just going to be enough bread for me to eat one last time before I die. And Elijah says, that's cool. Hey, do this for me. Make me this bread. And then when you do that... Uh, you're going to have more bread than you know what to do with, and you're going to be fed through the whole time. And she says, okay, sounds good. That sounds good. Now, what's different about this is that Jesus is coming to them, and he he says, uh, he says, you're in a desperate place. You're in a desperate situation. You're poor, you're blind, you're captive, you're oppressed. And they go, eh, isn't this the guy that we know? They don't believe him. But this widow, who's from Sidon, She hears the word of the Lord from Elijah, and she doesn't even believe in God. And she says, okay, that sounds sounds good. Okay, I'll do that. 
And Jesus points out, he points out, but I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up and great famine all over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Jesus is saying, she is somebody who knew and understood her spiritual poverty. She is somebody who knew and understood what she was up against. And you, my friend, he's speaking to them, these Israelites. Sorry, sir, I didn't mean to point at you. <laughs> you no, I know. I we know each other. I could say that, but I won't know. He says, you, folks, are just like these people. These people in Israel that couldn't get it right, these people in Israel who would not follow God, who could not see their spiritual poverty. So God sends Elijah to somebody who does see their poverty. And then he talks about this guy, Naaman. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. Different guy, Elijah and Elisha, in the, during the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Who's Naaman? Naaman is a, a great general in the Syrian army. He's a leper. And he had kidnapped this young girl from Israel on a raid. He takes her home. She works for his wife as a slave. And he is sick from leprosy. And the young girl from Israel says, oh man, I wish he was around the, the prophet who's in Israel because if he was around that prophet, like he would get healed so Naaman hears this and he goes, man, I, I'll go back to Israel. I'll go, I'll, go get, I'll go get healed. And so he does. And finally he gets sent to Elisha, the prophet. And what happens in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 19, beginning there, it says, So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. So this great general, he's like the greatest general in, in Syria. His king wants him to get healed really badly because he's, very, he's, he's, uh, he's having some serious problems because of this illness. So he goes and he takes all of, his, all of this stuff, the horses and the chariots. I don't think that's there for, uh, for no reason. And he stands at the door of Elisha's house. He comes to this prophet. And Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Elisha doesn't even come to the door to see this, this great general. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. What? You want me to go in the Jordan? That nasty river? It says, But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not these rivers of Damascus where I'm from... Better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And Naaman is, is this guy, and he's like, hey, you could have you come out and talk to me, and you could have just told me, hey, go back, go dip yourself in, an, in a nice river a couple of times, and everything would be fine. I thought you were going to come and do this abracadabra thing over my sickness, and, just, and it was going to be fine. But he's angry, and he's angry because isn't there something that I can do to make myself well? Can't you honor who I am and just come out to the door and see me? You just send me a message? Look at the offense that Naaman is up against. 
And he says, and it says, so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of, uh, of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. See, Naaman's deal was this. Naaman was like, he was resistant to this idea. Isn't there something that I can do? I'm in a high position. I'm in a high place. I can do a lot of things. I can make this happen. Shouldn't I be honored as this general? And Elisha gives no credence to the idea that he is a dignitary. He, he doesn't even uh, hear it, doesn't see it, doesn't care. He just says, you got to humble yourself and go wash yourself in this river at this time in this place. And someone convinces him and says, hey, if you could have done something that you could do, you'd already be healed. But this guy said, go do that, and you should go do it. And Naaman says, okay, I'll do it. And God heals him. Why is Jesus talking about this? There's a lot of lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. What's Jesus saying? There's a lot of spiritual lepers in Israel, and they're way too proud to go wash themselves in the Jordan. They're way too proud to do that. They have way too much hope in themselves. Who is Israel? Israel is the people of God who think, like, hey, we have Abraham as our great-grandfather, and so we're in. We're a part of this thing. It seems like Luke is trying to tell Theophilus, hey, there's a lot of people who think that they're in, and they're not in because they're just reliant on their own efforts. They don't see themselves as poor or blind, or captive, or oppressed. They don't see themselves in this way. They don't understand their spiritual poverty, and they think they have got it all together. And it's the same today. There's a lot of spiritual lepers in this room who do not see their poverty, who do not see the sickness that they have, who do not understand what it is that Jesus is offering to us. There's a lot of people in this place who are not experiencing the reality of who Jesus is because we just do not see who we actually are. And it says this, when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. Now look at the difference here. He's being glorified by all. It says that they marveled at the gracious words that Jesus said. And then he tells them the truth. And he says, there's a lot of widows in Israel and they weren't served. There's a lot of lepers in Israel, but only, one, uh, but only this guy from Syria was saved. And they're filled with wrath because of what they're hearing. They're hearing this idea that like, we don't get it. We're the religious elite, and we don't get it? Is that what you're saying? They're filled with wrath. They rise up. They drive him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. What? 
that sermon took a turn for the worst, right? Jesus butters him up. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, mm, mm. Preach it, Jesus. Oh, feeling the spirit right now? You're the poor. You're the oppressed. You're the cap. You are a captive of Satan. And they go, what did you just say? And I wonder, like how many of us in this room believe that somehow that we've got it figured out? See, we've been a church, I think it'll be 13 years this August. We've been a church, and the progression of churches is we start out passionate. We come to a point where we kind of, we like, we're, we're doing this. We're going to survive. We're not going to, we're not on the verge of closing. It took a long time. It was a church full of young people. Some of you got jobs. That was helpful. But, um, uh, <laughs> and then you get to this place of comfort. I don't want to show of hands, but I, I wonder if I did ask, like, how many of us have been here a while? Or you had a stage in life where you finally, finally got a career? You got married, start having kids, and life takes over. The message of the gospel that you believed in the beginning is, is still true, but the truth is that you've excelled, you've grown. And what Jesus wants to say to you today that really angers, really angers religious people. Is that you're, you're still poor. You're still a captive. You, there's spiritual blindness that's setting in. Maybe you don't even see the oppression that you're under and just your anger just comes out at people. Your accusations and your relationships are falling apart. And you don't see it. And so this verse in John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13 says, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But, who all, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what I want to know is, having started out in the will of God, being born of God, have you moved on to something else? Have you moved on to something greater? Which is a power in and of yourself. Because I got to tell you something. There's no way to live. There's no way to live. Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is, is not Jesus did for me and so I better start doing for him. The gospel is not that you've got your life together because Jesus saved you. The gospel is the constant realization that you're totally jacked up. And it's continually digging into your life and it's going, I see my spiritual blindness here. 
which is kind of an oxymoron because you don't really see your spiritual blindness. So what actually has to happen is that you have to live in community with other believers. So you get busy, you have a career, you have kids, you have all this stuff, and little by little you find yourself a little less connected to God's people. And so when we ask, like, who are you connected with? Like when, when crap goes down in your life, when stuff is falling apart, who from the church are you calling and saying, hey, would you pray for me? Hey, would you, would you, would you ask me about this? Would you talk with me about my marriage? Would you talk with me about my finances? Who are you connected with? Because spiritual blindness, you can't diagnose your own spiritual blindness. You need uh, the body of Christ to bring about this healing in your life, to show you who you are. Jesus provides it through the gospel. And the gospel says this, it's grace. It's absolute grace and mercy that's being poured out on you, that has been poured out on you. So there's no sin, there's no amount of anything in your life that stinks so bad that we can't love you through this, that God would somehow let you go. There's no amount of it. But I got to tell you, if you're a religious zealot, if you're somebody who's been around the church for a while, it might anger you. But what about those of you who are disconnected, like you're not connected with the church? A lot of this sermon, I, I will admit, has been to church people. But what about you? The beauty of these stories that he tells, that Jesus tells about Naaman and the, and the widow is that Jesus sends his prophet. Jesus sends his word to these people that seem so out of place. That have nothing to do with God. That have been living however they wanted. The Syrian general had kidnapped a girl from Israel. And Jesus, and God I should say, sends him to his prophet to be healed. There's nothing that you've done or that you could do that would keep you from relationship with God. Because Jesus, his person, is here to save you. Is here to make everything better. He is the one who can release you from that past. He is the one who brings healing to your present. He is the one that can cover over and can come in and heal how you've been oppressed, how you've been abused, how you are shattered and crushed. And not everything will be perfect right this second, in this moment, but Jesus promises that he brings spiritual wholeness to people who are spiritually bankrupt. So the sermon today is this. In fact, I'll t tell you what my, I always have a sermon problem. And the problem is this. People do not want to believe that they're poor, that they're blind, that they're captivated, that they're oppressed and need of God's favor and grace in Jesus. People do not want to believe it. And the question is, do you believe it? Those people didn't trust in him. Do you believe that Jesus can bring this into your life? Do you believe that Jesus can heal you in spite of your brokenness? Because he promises that he can 
And if you trust him, he will. So I invite you to it. I invite you to spiritual wholeness in Jesus Christ that heals your relationships. It heals any number of things in your life. Jesus can do this for you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I sense it in my own life, a lack of understanding of my, of my spiritual brokenness. The more competent I feel like I am in my job, the more I feel like I've got it under control, and the more distant I feel from you sometimes because of it. Lord, forgive us for dependence on self. Lord, forgive me for believing somehow that I, I think that I have it all together. Lord, there's many people in this room that do have a, a level of pride and arrogance like I can get sometimes, but there's also many people in this room that are so desperate and so destitute and just don't even see how you could save them. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to them the oppressed this morning as well, Lord, that they'd sense that you bring healing. So, Lord, I ask you for this. Lord, I pray for those in this room right now that may feel like, am, am I a Christian at all? Lord, one of the telltale signs of somebody who is a believer in Jesus Christ is somebody that deeply wants to uh, understand that they are and that this does not come from the power of Satan but that this comes from your Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Am I even saved? Am I, am, am I a part of this thing? That's a desire to be a part of it, Lord. It's more of an affirmation than a question. So, Lord, heal them, bolster them in the, in the power of your Spirit. Allow them to sense your grace and your mercy. Lord, for those who are doubting right here and right now, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you bring wholeness in this, Lord, that they would believe wholeheartedly, Lord, that you would enable them to do so, that you would show them grace, that your grace is sufficient even for their doubts, even for the things that they're dealing with. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen.